Happy May Day. My name is Jesse, and I'm excited to speak to you today. I work with SPTC. Uh, if you've not heard, SPTC is St. Paul's uh, Theological College. Um, we're an accredited institution. We're based here in the Alpha Hub, uh, training leaders not just in the Klang Valley, but also outside of Malaysia, serving churches in the Asia-Pacific region. Uh, if you're wondering what I do at the college, I started off as a student slash intern, now a full-time staff member, and I help run the college in the background. Um, sometimes I think without me, the college would be, you know, in great shape. There's a great team running the show, and if you'd like to go deeper and explore the many different aspects of the Christian faith, SPTC is the place to be. Uh, and the passage we're exploring today is the story of Saul's conversion. Saul, who is the author of almost half the New Testament, he once had a very mystical conversion experience when he was still the Jewish uh, religious leader. He was hell-bent on stopping the growth of the church, but he encounters Jesus in one, of his, in one of his journeys to find and imprison Christians. His amazing conversion, it takes place over the course of three days. He goes from being responsible for the execution and imprisonment of Christians in the early church to being the biggest champion of Christianity and the first theological expert of the church. What an amazing turnaround, right? In, in modern day terms, right, it, this would be like the equivalent of the biggest sports transfers. Lionel Messi from Barcelona to PSG or LeBron James from the Cavs to the Lakers. In a, in a more familiar context, it would be the equivalent of a former prime minister coming out of retirement to lead an opposition bid in the general elections to overthrow the existing government. Saul, in his mission to stop the spread of Christianity and the growth of the early church, was on an amazing race. But little did he know what was in store for him was some amazing grace. I'm not sure how many of us have had a similar conversion experience as all, but imagine the tension, the dramatic turn of events, and all the chatter around town. You know, if something similar happened today, this would, would have been a trending topic on Twitter, all over the news channels, and you might even have a Netflix series being made. But for Saul, he was not going to journey alone. And you would see in all his writings, the role people played in his ministry and in his life. And it's the same for us, regardless of where we are in our journey. We don't have to do this alone. God, in his infinite wisdom and grace, he sees the bigger picture and he invites us to be part of his kingdom and his redemptive work. Well, how does he do it then? He brings in different people into our lives at every stage of the journey. God's plan for our lives involves other people too. So in our passage for today, we will see how God leads us to people, how He leads us through people, and finally, the cost of community. The passage we're looking at today is the first part of Acts 9, the account of Saul's conversion. It's a long reading, so we will read through it and come back to it bit by bit. So Acts 9 verse 1. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest, and he asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. So at this point, Paul, formerly known as Saul, is a man on a mission. 
the early Christians are scattered due to persecution and Saul is on his way to stop the growth of the early church in the Roman Empire. Verse 3, we read, As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. Imagine this, Saul, the number one enemy of Christians, who bear the name of Christ, has a supernatural encounter with the risen Christ. Verse 7, the men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound but did not see anyone. Saul got out from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. And for three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. Verse 10, in Damascus there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, Go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. So imagine what is going on in Ananias' mind right now. Lord, I know I said I will follow you and that my life is yours, but are you, are you trying to get me killed already? Like so fast? Verse 15, But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. And then God says, I will tell him how much he will suffer for my name. You know, I've actually been thinking about this. And this is like going to be one of the first conversations they're going to have. And Jesus, out of all the things he could talk about, tells Ananias, I'm going to tell him that he will suffer. No, wait, why is that? It wouldn't make a great first date conversation, would it? Like, just imagine this. Hey, thanks for coming to dinner. If we get married, we'll be short of cash. My parents won't like you and we will move to Antarctica with my work. Verse 17. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord, Jesus appeared to you on the road as you were coming here. He has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and he was baptized and after taking some food, he regained his strength. Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. At once, he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. All those who heard him were astonished and asked, isn't he the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on this name? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priests? Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. 
the passage for today shows us that Saul is a man on a mission, but it turns out to be a mission impossible. At the start of Acts 9, Saul is probably the greatest enemy of the church. And at the end of Acts 9, he is now her strongest advocate, all in the matter of days. Saul goes from being a hard man, cold towards Christianity, ignorant of Christ, and turns into the church's greatest expositor, persuading the hardest of the people to reach and convincing them that Jesus is the Messiah. We see in this passage how quickly everything shifted for Paul and how new people came into his life. This was a 180-degree shift, and it was in many ways due to the different people that he met after his encounter with Jesus. You know, Saul will go on to do some remarkable things for the church and the Christian faith, but the first thing God does through the Holy Spirit is put people in his life before he goes out to do amazing things. And besides God, who gets the bragging rights? It's the disciples who were obedient to God's voice, the people Saul was led to. And the first thing we see in this passage, God leads us to other people. God's plan for our lives involves other people too. He doesn't want us to be alone and He definitely doesn't want us to figure things out on our own. Jesus says to Saul in verse 6, Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. And to Ananias he says, Go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying Just like how God led Saul to Ananias and how Ananias was led to Saul, God leads us to other Christians in our own lives too. He leads us to different people at different stages of our journey as followers of Jesus. It doesn't matter if we are baby Christians or boomer Christians. Now you might ask, how does this happen? It happens through the church. In the church, we get to see God at work in a community of believers, people coming together for a common purpose, and the Holy Spirit uniting people from all walks of life. The Christian life is not a walk through the boulevard of broken dreams, where you walk a lonely road, the only one that you've ever known. Jesus calls us to live in communion with Him and with others. It's the enemy who wants us to be isolated. You are not called to do life alone in the faith. This is the gospel truth for everyone, but it is an important point for introverts, just like me. So back in 2017, um, I had an amazing opportunity to fulfill a lifelong dream and study theology. Uh, And I'll always be grateful to the Reverend Dr. James Harding who left a voice message to invite me to join the 2017 cohort. Dr. James persuaded me and I was sold. Didn't take him a long time to convince me too. And I was excited for the first week. I was feeling confident because I had attended hundreds of Bible studies before. And so I thought this would be easy. If you were to ask me like the name of Jesus' cousin's father-in-law's friend's pet camel's name, I would probably know it. Until I sat in the first five classes exploring the foundations for theology. You know, I would, I would drive home every night and just be amazed at how inexperienced and naive I was. My knowledge of scripture and the Christian faith was so limited. I realized how much I didn't know, how stretched I was, 
And at the same time, I was surrounded by talented, young, budding theologians, folks who had like brilliant questions, responses during discussion breaks. You know, people who clearly had a clue. And there I was, blank, unsophisticated, and detached from the rest of the class. But five years later, and after waiting to attend our graduation ceremony for two years, thanks to COVID, I thank God with all my heart for the class of 2020. You know, these uh, wonderful, skilled, and eloquent, God-fearing bunch of theologians were there for me. They supported me. They pushed me to widen my horizons, go deeper into scripture, and to think theologically. No, I dare say if it wasn't for my 2017 cohort, I wouldn't have made it through and finished with a degree in theology. Maybe some of you are thinking of SPTC at this moment. Good news, applications are open. If you're not sure about going for it or if you're wondering if you'll survive the first week, hear me out. If someone who's a complete noob like me can do it and finish with a degree, I think you can do it too. After all, we take pride in doing our theology in the context of community. We have a great community of young theologians who are all on the same boat. We want to get to know the Lord more, grow in our Christian faith, and serve our churches better. If you are in a similar place as Saul, let God lead you to someone else, or maybe even a group of people in the church who will encourage you and support you through prayer. You'll never know what kind of impact people can have in your life. Like Ananias, we can be attentive to God's voice when He speaks, and when we choose to be obedient to His voice, and whatever He tells us to do, we can be a blessing to someone else. You know, most importantly, Ananias learned to recognize the voice of Jesus. He had a mature faith that enabled him to hear when Jesus called his name. My prayer for today is that you and I, with the help of the Holy Spirit, will develop a maturity in our faith that enables us to recognize when and how God speaks. So if God leads us to people, He can also lead us through people. In this account, Saul, who has just had an encounter with Jesus, is being led to Ananias, who also has just had a vision of the Lord Jesus. And God is also using Ananias to speak to Paul. We read in verse 15, But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. God does amazing things, things only he can do. And how do we receive it? It is through community. Community is God's desire for us. And biblical community, or rather a community of other Christians, is even more important because it helps us stay focused on God. And one of the best examples of community in the Bible is seen in the early church in the book of Acts. We see this evidently in Acts 9, how Ananias and a group of other disciples came together to be with Saul. We read in verse 19, Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. At once, he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. All those who heard him were astonished and asked, isn't he the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on this name? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners 
to the chief priests. Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. What a transformative week it's been, right? It, it, it took only a few days for Saul to start preaching the gospel himself. We only read one small sentence that Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus, but imagine all that the disciples poured into Saul's life to empower him and embolden him to begin his journey as the greatest evangelist the church has ever known. In one of last week's entries for the Bible in one year, Nikki Gumbel speaks about the five ways God guides you. If you have the time later, you can look at the four other ways, but one way we find guidance from above is through the counsel of the saints, the church. And this is what Nikki said. Guidance is not an individual activity. We receive guidance in the context of community. On our own, we can sometimes get things very wrong. God can speak to others as well as to us. And God has been speaking through many people since the world began. And the Bible is a great example of how God spoke through many different people. The question is, are you listening? So I love doing life on my own. Growing up, I was always in my room, doing my own thing, and I hardly went out of the house. And then I had a time when I was a bit confused. I didn't know if I was extroverted or introverted. So I was a bit of both. And then a lot of things changed. I realized I was always an introvert, which is why I love doing everything on my own. I watch movies on my own. If I'm out, I probably window shop alone. I go to the gym and work out alone. Although it's not always the best thing to do. I've injured myself a few times now. Uh, and I love sitting quietly and just spending time on my own. It's not like I hate people, it's probably because my social battery is always low and it takes a long time to recharge. So when I first got to HGBV, I loved the vibe. I knew like this was the place, this was it. Okay, so I'll just, I'll just chill and see what God does, right? But as time went on, it felt like something was missing. And I'm, a, I'm the kind of person who takes a while to realize something's wrong. So it did take a while for me to realize that I was missing out on community and I didn't have that here at HTBB. Thank God for Alpha. I made some great friends on Alpha, but it's not like I went to Alpha voluntarily. I had to go because I had to do an SPTC assignment on Alpha. But yes, I made some great friends at that time in my life when I needed some good company. Eventually, I ended up in a connect group and it was life-changing. Special shout out to Mon Kiara Connect Group, still led by the legendary Chris Raja and team. In fact, Chris, who leads the MKCG, was also one of my mates at SPTC. And I've got so much love and respect for the folks that I met at MKCG. You guys know who you are. These people prayed for me, they prayed with me, they spoke life into me and blessed me in so many ways. I don't think I can ever repay them for all they've done. I can recall the many times God spoke to me through these friends and I'll always be thankful for the time that we shared together. You know, for all the times I ran into life's many roadblocks, God spoke to me not through a mystical encounter or a vision or with a loud voice from heaven as much as I would have liked it, but through someone else who was attentive to his voice and spoke with boldness into my life. 
I love this quote by Christine Kane. She says, God provides divine alignments for divine assignments. Like Ananias and Saul, God aligns you with people in your life for divine conversation. He will use the people in your life to speak to you and He will also speak through you to the people in your life. And this is why it is so important to not just be connected to God but also to one another in the church. When we choose to participate in God's great plan for humanity, we are actively being blessed by those around us in the faith while being a blessing to others ourselves. And lastly, we'll look at the cost of community. You know, it is great to be led to and led through other people, but there's always a cost. Here's the deal. God didn't intend for you and I to live in isolation. He specifically designed us to thrive in relationships with other Christians. In fact, we are our best selves when we're experiencing life's highs and lows with others. That means everyone, regardless of background, needs community. But community doesn't come without a cause. In this passage, there was a risk for Ananias, who wasn't so sure about going to meet Saul, who had signed death warrants for Christians like Ananias. It was risky for Saul too. He was about to leave everything that he knows, his old life relationships and work to go meet some Christians that he was not really fond of. In fact, it was not just Ananias who played an important role in Saul's paradigm shift. There was also this lesser-known Judas living in a house in Straight Street who boldly housed the sick Saul and his companions until Ananias came around. I love how Jesus appears to a guy named Ananias and says to him, Go to the house of Judas, a name that is suddenly gone out of fashion, hashtag cancel, and there you will find a guy from Tarsus called Saul. Do you see the Lord trying to hide it? You don't mean Saul of Tarsus, do you, Lord? The Lord replies, yes. And in a vision, he's seen a man named Ananias come and lay hands on him. In other words, the Lord's made it clear there is no plan B. It could have been someone will lay hands on him, but no, it's you will, Ananias. This doesn't stop Ananias pushing back a little though. Um, Lord, I've, I've heard a few reports about this guy, many in fact, um, all the harm he's done to your people in Jerusalem. And it's like 150 miles away, but still the message got through. Um, and he's come here with authority. I know I keep calling you Lord, Lord, but he's come with a bit of paper from the high priest. Well, Lord, basically he's a psychopath. Are you mad? He's a killer. We should keep well clear. Or if he's gone blind, we should maybe send the boys around and kick his head in. But we shouldn't go pray for him. I'd honestly have felt the same way. The church isn't that big. Ananias would have known people who Saul had killed. Lord, like he's, he's, he's a killer. He's, he's vicious. He's got authority. Lord, look at all he's done. Look at his past. You want me to go and pray for him? You know, these disciples and followers of Jesus, they took a huge risk with Saul. They chose to forgive Saul despite seeing some of their friends and family in prison, tortured and killed. And when Saul needed help, they cared for him. They probably did not see this coming, but 
look at the fruit of their obedience to God and love shown to Saul. The church kept growing and growing and Saul's ministry impacted so many lives. What an amazing return on investment, right? Saul's life-changing encounter with the risen Christ triggers a shift in his life that makes him leave his whole life behind and he doesn't look back at all. In fact, if you read through the rest of Acts 9, after spending some time with some unnamed disciples in Damascus, he starts preaching the gospel himself to some of the toughest crowds in town. This was God's plan all along. Saul's on it. He gets the mission. He's got the orders from above and he starts the sprint. You know, the Christian life is a race, but it is important for us to understand that it's not a race where someone wins and everyone else loses out on the prize. It's a race that Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, has won. We get to participate in this race, get others to run with us, and we even have the opportunity to help someone who stumbles along the way. We run this race knowing we can enjoy Jesus' victory and celebrate and cheer and invite others to do so too. But like every race, there is an audience. In the passage we, look, we looked at today, we saw how Saul is leading the crowd that boos Jesus. And then after a few life-changing days with some new friends, he joins the runners. The impact a few people had on Saul's life at his conversion is momentous. It affects everything he sets out to do in his life of ministry. From, from a hater of Christians and the church, he becomes a lover of people and a good friend to those around him. And you see it in his letters. The letters he wrote to his friends in the faith has brought about the theology of the church today. And like Saul, I believe God wants to bring people into your life who will bless you. You too will have the opportunity to be a blessing to someone else later on. Regardless of where you are in your walk with Jesus, even if you're new to the Christian faith, remember that we have the promise of Emmanuel, God with us. We don't have to feel lonely or be in isolation anymore. Jesus is Emmanuel. He is with you and He is with me. He is present and He is near. The same Jesus who appeared to Saul and to Ananias can and will appear to you too. If you're listening to this talk today and if you feel isolated and lonely, do not worry. You are in the right place and you have an access to an amazing community of believers that share the same struggles, but with a similar hope that is rooted in the finished work of the cross of Christ. So may God lead you to the people in the church and in the faith who will be catalysts of change in your life. And may you discover this week that you were made to share God's heart with the people in your life. And may you find joy and passion in God's longing to use you through the Holy Spirit in powerful and unique ways. Amen.